0: This episode of the PolicyViz podcast is brought to you by Jump statistical discovery software from SAS. JUMP's powerful, easy-to-use visualization capabilities allow you to both explore your data for hidden insights and create interactive graphics that tell a compelling story. Enhance your presentations with dynamic graphics powered by world-class analytics in JUMP. Visit www.jmp.com to download a 30-day free trial to see for yourself how with jump, data visualization, and exploratory analysis go hand in hand.
1: Welcome back to the Policy Viz Podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. I'm going to take a little change this week on the show. We're going to move away from data and data visualization as we've been talking about the last few weeks. And this week, we're going to talk about presentation skills and presentation design, because I'm very excited to be joined this week by author, speaker, blogger, professor, Gar Reynolds. Uh, if you don't know Gar, he has written several great books on presentation, presentation zen, Presentation Zen Design, The Naked Presenter, and many other books, many of which uh, have been written in Japan. And Gar joins me today from his home in Nara, Japan. Gar, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming. Yeah,
2: yeah thanks for having me.
1: Let's get started. The school year, at least here in the U.S., has just kicked off. Um, what are uh, What are you up to these days?
2: Yeah, well, our school year is different. It starts in April. Uh, but what I'm doing right now, besides staying home and taking my kids to, to their school, uh, their preschool... Uh, I, I have a book that will be coming out in November or December on storytelling, and it has a DVD with it. So we just did the DVD, and now we're still in the midst of writing the book. But it won't be for English, so that'll be just, just in Nihongo, uh-huh. just in Japanese.
1: Right, and you are you're teaching in Kyoto now?
2: Yeah, so I'll, I'm going back uh, full-time as a professor of management and also communication design at the Kyoto University of Foreign Studies. In April. So, that's that's when our system starts. So, we're actually from April. So, now is um, the regular school starts up again in September, but that's mid-term, actually, September. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay.
1: Um, Well, let's give folks who may not be familiar with your writing and your work, uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about Presentation Zen, the philosophy behind uh, your Zen design process.
2: Yeah. Well, the the key aspect of it is simplicity. So, I, I mean, I've always been into... Presentations starting with 35 millimeter slides way back before PowerPoint, uh, you know, and I kept doing that. That's one of the th- reasons why I went to work for Apple uh, was my interest in Steve Jobs and the way they did presentations, but also because I could do a lot of presentations inside Apple when I was working there, and then also with customers. So around 2005, I started a, a, pre- a website called uh, Presentation Zen, PresentationZen.com, where I just gave everything away. Focusing on things, you know, lessons from the Zen arts, from tea ceremony and sado, which is sort of um, painting, sort of calligraphy, ink painting. And, there are, you know, Japanese culture is quite deep and quite wide. And there's a lot of, you know, rather old arts with many lessons that we can take uh, today and apply to different things. So. It wasn't, it wasn't a gimmick. I wasn't trying to make money out of it or anything. It was just lessons that I've gleaned over the years from living in Japan. I've lived here half my life. And I thought, well, you could apply a lot of these simplicity lessons to other things, including data Mm -hmm. visualization. And I found that the world of presentations, which meant PowerPoint, I mean, that's not a synonymous term, but a lot of people used uh, slides, of course, and most of them were quite dreadful and didn't really help communication. And yeah, I mean, really awful. And it still is. Things are getting better. Mm-hmm. And, and, of course, the way to convince people is not to say that, you know, most presentations are terrible uh, because they'll just say, oh, okay, well, then mine are terrible, too. No big deal. Instead, you have the approach you must say is things are getting better and pre- people are not presenting that way anymore. <laughs> yeah. you know, if you want to be effective, you know, it, whether you're talking about policy or whatever it is, you cannot present like that. You can't use this crappy old Excel file. Yeah. And there's a whole new world out there, and then people say, "Well, I don't want to be left behind." <laughs> That's a much better approach. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so then that turned into a book. So I had the the website was became really popular just through just through luck, I think, and just by working on it. I mean, three or four days a week, I had new material that took a long time to research, and that became big. And then publishers will ask you to write a book. This was back in the day. So in 2000, end of 2007, presentations then came out. Luckily, that became uh, a bit successful. So. That led to other things.
1: Right. So led to Presentation Zen Design, led to The Naked Presenter. I'm curious. I think Presentation Zen Design is one of my favorite design books for, for presentations. I'm I'm curious, when you um, work with people who may be in the business school or may not have a design background, how do you work with them to say you don't need to be a designer to, to create no. great design?
2: Yeah. Well, the book was for non-designers. So my, my feeling is, and this is not a threat to people who actually are designers, but that all of it, we all need to up our game. I mean, learning how to write well, that that everyone, every professional should know how to write well is not a threat to people who make a living as writers, you know, actual authors and actual journalists and writers. And the bar is pretty low. So well it is for writing as well, but in terms of in terms of visual literacy, there no one you know no one is winning if if we all kind of if the general population kind of sucks at it. That's not a good thing. Yeah. So we need it in our schools, so this this is a whole other thing. But we didn't get it in school much, but we can learn to be better. And it's sort of like photography. And you don't have to be a great photographer, you don't have to be a professional, but you know, you there are 10, 20 things you could learn, which are not about how to use the camera, that you could do in a workshop too. Mm-hmm. But there's, there, there are some things you can know that will really help you Im- improve immediately. And then it's just a lifelong pursuit on thinking well this matters and I want to get better at it. Uh, but a lot of people waste time you know, messing around with things like PowerPoint rather than just taking the time to understand what is good visualization, what is good graphic design. And then what will happen is they'll learn that well actually in a, a tool like PowerPoint if I ignore 99% of the features you know then That'll be good. Yeah. Because I don't, you know, people often ask me, wow, how did you, know, what software did you use? And <laughs> well, it's not about the software. Right. And actually, the tool that I use, which is I use Keynote for the you know, the final presentation, but I don't even, Keynote, I probably use, you know, 2% of the tools. Yeah. It's not really about that. It's just a slide sorter. So uh, most of good graphic design is just really thinking first, what do I need? What's important? Uh, You know, how do I want to tell this story? And then how can I convey it in the the simplest way without being dishonest, without hiding things, but
1: Mm
2: -hmm. um, putting it in a way that's simple and it's not easy to be simple. But it's not the software that makes something simple. It's your brain (laughs) that (laughs) figures things out first.
1: I want to come back to the tools in a little bit. I want to see what sort of you're thinking about the the new tools, but... um, you mentioned a couple things that, that were really interesting. Uh, the first thing I want to ask you about is the process of creating. Are you the kind of person who starts by drawing and writing and in, in hard copy and then moving into the computer? Or are you designing in the computer and just starting there?
2: No. So my whole thing has been, and you know, you you can have your own system, but my whole thing has been you should always turn off the computer just get away from it. Of course, we use that for research and for getting some data or whatever. But the actual thinking about it, it's a very analog process. And when I worked for Apple, I was, uh, I shouldn't have been surprised, but uh, my office, for example, was all whiteboard, so whiteboard material for wallpaper, basically. And th- that was true throughout the whole. This was marketing, marketing communications department. And, you know, com- TV commercials and things like that or marketing plans or websites were all on whiteboard or all on paper that you could sort of, you know, stick because they're a magnetic whiteboard. So you could stick mm-hmm. magnets. St- I mean, whole website, the whole, you know, Apple.com would be on a big board or this section of, you know, Apple.com would, for a new product would be on the whiteboard or on pieces of paper up on a whiteboard. I mean, because a screen is small. At it, it, most, it's what, you know, 22-inch monitor yeah. or whatever yeah. it is. But if you can use the whole room or your whole desk for space, it just really opens things up. Yeah, uh, and and also, of course, it allows for collaboration. You can more easily show people. I don't know. It, it could be my age because of you know where I grew up, but I just like I, I'm on computer all the time, mm-hmm. and I just re- as much as I can, I want to get away from it.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, being able to hold the piece of paper and the the index cards or whatever it is that that you use, or post-it notes, or different pieces of paper. I think there's there's something about that tactile feeling that for yeah. me, you know, helps a, helps the creative process.
2: There, um, there's some research in this in in Japan too. Why you know, like for example, writing things, actually handwriting things. Why is that a good thing? And it's something happening different in the brain than if you just learn Japanese, let's say, or English, and you never actually wrote things, but you just typed everything. Yeah. And you could learn the ABCs and you could learn how to write doing that fine, fine, of course. But there's something different going on. And there's a lot of people like Dan Rome and I uh, forget the woman's name, but, uh, but doodling. So there's a lot of work now in books talking about doodling right. and how important that is. And that's a very analog thing. Right. And maybe it's because, we, you know, I don't know how long Homo sapiens have been around, but let's say it's a minimum of 100,000. It's probably longer. But, you know, we, we're doodling. We're sh- showing, you know, drawing pictures of things. Even when we were grunting, I guess it would be, you know, and still <laughs> using sticks to, to draw. And we've been doing that long before the typewriter. Right. And long before we knew how to really write. That hasn't, you know, evolutionarily speaking, we haven't been writing very long at all. Yeah. But I think we've been explaining things, obviously, through yeah. story but all, and also through sketching things out.
1: Right. You also mentioned earlier this, this idea of, or sort of mentioned that we don't teach uh, certain things about communication or about design in school, in younger school. If you were uh, the secretary of ed- education or the czar of education, would you change the curriculum? Would you add well.
2: things about data, about communication? Like what? What would you? What would you change about? Oh, da- like that? data. Yes. I mean, I think what's useful. I don't know how useful some of the math that I had, but. Um, I, mean, I mean, I still, I still haven't used algebra. I mean, I, I would have. I mean, if I went on to study physics, my brother has a physics degree, so he went on and studied a lot more than algebra. But what is very useful, and I wish I had, you know, deeper grounding in and didn't struggle with so much in graduate school, is statistics mm-hmm. and understanding statistics and and you don't have to get too deep for the average high school student, but they should understand it so that now you have people who really don't know what they 're talking about saying that well, you can't trust statistics or right. you can make statistics say anything, which actually is true, but they still don 't know why that is, yeah, and I think it'd be very useful for a democracy to have people that could look at data and understand why it's bogus or why it's incomplete or why it could mean this, but yeah i don't th- you know it's not convincing yeah so but we don't. We instead we just say, "Nah, you know, lo- global warming a hoax because it snowed in Minnesota." <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? There's da- there's yeah. data for yeah. That. There's data. There's data for that, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, the, your original question was so uh, I think there needs to be more on visual literacy. I think George Lucas and uh, Martin Scorsese have talked about this. Uh, kids should learn not it's not just how to use a tool, how to make a movie. Everyone has a smartphone, so every even high school kid who has the means probably has a smartphone. Certainly, a college kid does. Mm-hmm. And so the excuse of, well, we don't have cameras. We don't have good video cameras. Every kid has a better video camera than that some big $3,000 Sony I had 15 years ago. Yeah. So everyone's got the tools. And you, know, you could have kids, for example, do you know, actual short movies and then learn storytelling techniques and also editing techniques, how to make good video, which would be very useful for them. I think making good video, mostly video isn't good, but making a good short movie is very valuable, just as valuable as knowing how to write uh, a report.
1: So let's talk about stories, because you'd mentioned that
2: writing is a learned skill,
1: presenting is a learned skill, design is a learned skill. What about stories? Is telling stories a learned skill, or
2: is it sort of innate, and then we sort of can develop that skill? Yeah, I think it's a little bit like you know Ken Robinson says about creativity. We're, we're all very creative and born creative, but we've been educated out of our creativity. So storytelling is funny that way, because uh, it is innate to all of us. I mean, that's, that's how we've evolved through telling stories. Yeah, Every right. kid, you, you have children, so you know they're good at telling stories. Yes. Uh, well, at least it's narrative. It's not off. it lacks sometimes some conflict and some obstacles and a clear goal. But anyway, it's, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. a narrative. But it is natural to us and we're, we're naturally inclined to it, for good or for bad. So, we're also naturally inclined to believe nonsense. I mean, we, we will take a nonsense explanation over no explanation, mm-hmm. which probably explains, you know, a lot of thousands of years of our <laughs> of our evolution, Beca- you know, when we we're very superstitious. Because you know, even, even a bad explanation is better than no explanation, so we come up with supernatural explanations. So, storytelling is in, innate in us, but and, and we're receptive to it. But to, to learn how to tell a good story is, yeah, I think something that takes time and takes some education, just like writing. I mean... Mm-hmm. Um, we can, if we learn the ABCs and we learn some basic sentences we we can write, but learning how to write well, it just takes practice and it takes, it takes teachers and practice.
1: A lot of questions that I get when it comes to presentation is what does it mean to tell a story? Um, and I sort of, uh, I, I sort of try to walk people through that, that stories don't have to be some involved complex thing that it can be. The story of why the data is interesting or, or a story about why you got interested in, in the research or in the project. When you talk, do you get pushback, especially when you're working with, you know, people who are in the business or the marketing or advertising sectors? Do they push back on like, what is a, what is a story yeah. mean when I'm standing in front of an audience?
2: Yeah, it could be. I mean, years ago it was more, but I think now. People hear about storytelling, story this, story that, like, hmm, okay, I'm missing something. (laughs) I want to be on this. And they're finding that it's a differentiator. Everyone's got the data. So how can I present it in a compelling way? So, you know, what is story? Well, there's scores of books written on what is story. But so at its essence, I think a story is it it makes the audience care, whatever that audience is, You got to make them care (laughs) that what you're saying is important for them. So, there's a lot of empathy is involved for the storyteller to think about what is important to this o- audience, what is their pain, how might they resist. So, if you show that you've anticipated that how they would resist, like I, you know, there's, again, there's a lot of research on this, How and you probably know this already, is that just arguing with people or showing them data that shows that they're wrong does not convince them. Mm-hmm. So, how do you convince people that they're just not going to be convinced? And there is some success if you can show that you've done the research, that you understand their pain, you understand where they're coming from. You know, the old one is, well, I used, to, in fact, I used to think the way you do, and mm-hmm. I understand why you do. I mean, it does make sense. Yeah. And, and so… I mean, we used to think that the you know the sun evolved around the earth. I mean, Aristotle thought that it makes yeah. sense. Look, the sun, look, at it just goes over there. So <laughs> I understand, <laughs> right? It's completely. I mean, not today's world, but let's say I don't know five hundred years ago. I, I understand. Don't kill me. <laughs> don't put me on trial. It makes sense why you would think that, but I've got some new information. Yeah. So I think having empathy for empathy in two ways, one that you've really thought about the audience and you really know the audience. And then on the day that you're actually presenting that you show your empathetic to their point of view, even if you think their point of view is completely nonsense and you know, and right now, the political stuff is happening in the States and, it's sometimes hard to remember that, you know, even on the other extreme side, you know, they are people. Right. They are just people. And I know at the very extreme, there's some, there's, you know, there's some Looney Tunes. But most people are not really Looney Tunes. And you have to just have empathy for them. And right. I, even though I know it's hard, but we have a lot more in common than we have not in common.
1: Yeah, yeah that's a great point. I want to turn to tools in a second, but I did want to ask one other question about um, when you present. You've been doing this a long time. You've given a bunch of TED talks. You, you're a professor. Do you when you're given a big keynote or even even a small talk? Do you still do you still get nervous?
2: Well, more nervous than you know, sitting in my underwear watching cartoons. <laughs> but you know, well, I
1: assume you're just you know you're wearing pants when you're giving presentations.
2: Rarely, so. <laughs> but which is why I'm usually comfortable. Right. You know, when I have been nervous um, in the past, it's because I wasn't prepared. If, mm-hmm. if you're prepared, then you're just not nervous. And the bigger the audience, the better. I've been in 5,000 or so at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas and didn't feel a bit nervous at all, except to pre- I prepared a lot for it, mm-hmm. and I, I thought I would be nervous. I think of the first time, and it wasn't that long ago, maybe 10 years ago, uh, in Washington, in D.C., at the Gaylord Hotel, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, something like that, and uh, I was the keynote, and I knew it was a a big thing, but I still had never actually been, and I presented a lot, but not that, like 2,000 people, and it had the big stage with the confidence monitors and like Mm -hmm. spotlights, and I went the day before for the rehearsal, and I remember my first, I mean, I was nervous, like, oh, crap. No, I didn't. I mean, I know I'm kind of the presentation Zen guy, and I sold a lot of books, and I coach people, but I actually had never been on a stage like that. Yeah. I didn't even think that, I wasn't interested in that. And so I was nervous at that point. But when I actually did it, I, I wasn't nervous at all. It was one of the best experiences I, I had because I had like top 10 things and I only could do seven because you never finish or you never go over time. Right. And then I said, well, I've got three more, but I've you know, been a great audience. I got to leave. And uh, they, they, they loved it and they asked me back. I said, no, they were like more and more and more. They're like encore. So Because there's three more things. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So, well, that's another thing about storytelling. That is a kind of storytelling, which is why you have the you know, top 40, the top 100, whatever, the top 10 countdown right, right. on Groovy Tuesday. Because we want to know, even though you don't care, it's like, oh, damn it, what's going to be the number one song of yeah. 1980? Right. Who cares? <laughs> right. But you know, I've listened through this, now I'm to number five, and I've got to see if Duran Duran is there. So <laughs> I've got to get to the end. It's a weird thing. Yeah. So that, that actually, and there's, I forget the book, there's a book on storytelling and video. Oh, it's called the Millionaire, something Millionaire, How to Be a Millionaire, Millionaire iPhone, something. Anyway, it's a pretty good book in spite of the title. But he <laughs> talked about that a little bit, that it, that's a common technique because that kind of list of top whatever countdown is compelling. We just, I mean, David Letterman made a living off of that. Yeah. You know, even though most of the jokes were disappointing and lame, uh, it's like, well, maybe this one won't be. Wait, <laughs> there's yeah, just something about account. a count. There's something about a countdown. Yeah. Anyway. So, what was the question I forgot oh no that, that no that was that was uh, uh oh, have I been nervous? Yeah. So, uh, I think the thing is everyone will be a little bit nervous yeah. i mean if you 're not a little not nervous but but amped up just a little bit, but no, the only time, and I was thinking i, I can 't say the name of clients, but it was a huge one and so I flew over to New York to do the head office and uh downtown new york and it 's a you know it's probably like the most what, like what would be the worst kind of company you would want to present for? And I did that, and it was great. It was three hundred analysts, and it, it wasn't at all what I thought it would be like. So I thought, well, if I can do that, if I can live through that, yeah. And it wasn't it wasn't bad. I've never had a bad experience. Sometimes you get pushback, um, but it's never personal. So well, right, right. I don't really, I mean, care. disagree
1: with your ideas, but you know, everyone can disagree, and, and that's okay.
2: Yeah, I had a friend. I probably shouldn't say his name. It's a very a very famous guy, and he was presenting. Uh, for a big company in in Paris. So they flew him over there. He's written a bunch of New York Times bestsellers. So he did his thing, blah blah blah. Title of the book, and then the CEO comes up and says, uh, "You know, I disagree with everything you said." <laughs> <laughs> and I asked him, "So what? What did you do?" And he goes, "Nothing. You know, they yeah. paid me. <laughs> so what do I care? I mean, right. that's what are you going to do?" <laughs> so <laughs> I know. never had anything that bad, but. Right.
1: Um, all right so we talked a little bit about tools I know you're a,
2: you're a keynote guy um, Well, I'm not a keynote guy cuz if you've read my books you know I, I don't care I'm agnostic
1: okay so or maybe atheist are you, <laughs> do you have do you have do you have any thoughts on so there's all kind of a whole new slate of tools out there there's Prezi and there's Zoho and there's there's all these sorts of tools and then the new PowerPoint the subscription service now has PowerPoint and Zoom and there's Microsoft Sway have you you know, yeah. do you have thoughts on all these different tools or do you just are you still agnostic about all of them and say,
2: yeah, it
1: doesn't well, really
2: matter? I'm pretty ag- agnostic, so I just still use Keynote because that does everything I needed to do. Yeah. I don't you know, any Okay, so I don't talk about Prezi because I hey, hey, whatever you can make work fine. I think something like a Prezi and there's some other softwares that copy what what that does. Actually I could fake you out almost using Keynote and make it seem like it was Prezi. Mm-hmm. But unless you're talking about architecture or like some mapping, maybe if you're talking about the cholera outbreak, you know, in London, you, we had zoom in, in, in and out to different neighborhoods. Right. That might work. But usually I just find that a superfluous, uh, superfluous technique. And technique is not what we're about. I mean, why don't movies use that? I mean, cinema hasn't, the basics of cinema, in spite of the great technology we, we have, hasn't really changed. I mean, you could use, I mean, there are thousands of transitions between scenes that you could use. Yeah. And yet, none, almost none of them are ever used. It's always no transition, you know, just a cut to mm-hmm. a new scene, fade to black, and crossfade, yeah. cross dissolve. That's it. And you notice when something's different. Like Star Wars, of course, he is famous for the wipe. Yeah, the wipe, and you notice, know, oh, that's that's different. That's yeah. a kind of a that's a Akira Kurosawa thing, I think. So, I mean, look, we could have millions of transitions, but no one uses them because it doesn't really – doesn't help the story. It doesn't help the narrative. So, right. if you can use Prezi and, and because you think that really helps the story or it helps the audience understand. If so, then God bless you and go for it. Right. But I just find that I, it just usually doesn't. Yeah. I mean, my students, college students will use it. It's free. That's a good thing. Okay, it's free. You can use a free version. Fine. But uh, it doesn't really – it's never helped the actual presentation that yeah. I've seen. I know yeah. that online you can see a good example where they're using spatial areas, usually done by professional designers. And it's really good. But, you know, like when I show a video, I don't want it to start as a little video that pops up. and You know, I don't want yeah. them to wear it. I, you know, if you're watching, a, you know, the BBC or you're watching something that's well done, even on television, it's not <laughs> a little video that pops up into a slightly larger video. You know, the video would just play. would just begin yeah. to play. Right. I don't know. It just seems the... The slideware that we have is, you know, even, even PowerPoint, as I said, if you ignore most of it, it's, it's pretty solid. That's yeah, fine. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I guess if you could make a movie, you know, make it, making movies, you know, making short film that you could embed in different places, different media. I think that's, that's important. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Being able to sort of seamlessly go between a slide and a video. I think is one thing I've seen that mostly PowerPoint user were PowerPoint and, and keynote as well, they've gotten more powerful over time. So that now they're they're not as clunky, they they move seamlessly, they don't crash at least well across my fingers. They don't crash
2: as much. Um, yeah. Well the advantage of something like a, a Prezi is that, you know, it's you can say it's nonlinear. But and storytelling can be nonlinear too, even yeah. if you Uh, But what they mean is you can go back and forth. So if someone has a question about something that happened, he can go back and do that. But in a teaching situation, at least in university, I don't, when I'm, you call it teaching, I guess, I try to have students do most of the talking. But we're using whiteboards and we're Mm -hmm. talking and we're, you know, we're looking at data somewhat, but I don't really need to go, I'm not really focused on the screen anyway. Yeah. So um, presentations that students do are quite short, 10, 15 minutes. Uh, then after during Q and A maybe yeah, could I see that video again? Right. That's not a big deal. You don't really need Prezi to do to do that. Yeah, I'm not against Prezi. So I'm not. Ha- I'm not. You know, I'm not dissing it. Yeah, yeah No, dis- I understand. If the if the tool helps, need it to do. If it, then that's if great. it helps, if it's that's what's always about. I mean, but people talk about Prezi. I think if it's a good presentation, they have no tool. They have no idea what tool you used. Yeah, I mean, you don't go to a great film. When I saw Star Wars episode seven, I was like, Oh man, look at that final cut. You know what? That's an Adobe After Effects. Cool. <laughs> you don't care. And yeah. if you knew, then something's wrong. And I've just never been able to see Prezi that I didn't know. Mm. That's Prezi. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't wanna know. Or that's, I don't wanna know it's PowerPoint. I don't wanna I don't I shouldn't be thinking about that. I yeah. should just be looking at the presenter and then there's some visuals there, fine. Right. Right.
1: Um, okay I want to I want to close up but you've mentioned Star Wars a couple times I know you're a big Star Wars fan so we've got a lot of Star Wars ground to cover. Um sure. so Force Awakens uh number 7 uh big fan.
2: Well yeah it was pretty much like episode 4 um which is what I everyone thought that's what I thought yeah. when I was watching but I don't care because that's what I wanted. Right. So it was a kind of a, you know, the, the prequels were a disaster. I know, I mean, there's been many documentaries on this. <laughs> and But it more, as time goes by, I mean, I actually like the, the stories are okay. And I have to, you have to watch them. But it's just amazing how the, the visuals just, I mean, how badly, yeah. how bad they got within like, you know, six months after the release, like that looks lame yeah. because it looked lame right from the beginning. On the other hand, my son and I, he's only four, but we have Jurassic Park on, on Hulu, mm-hmm. uh, the first one, which is 20, it's 20 years now. And that is so yeah. believable. Yeah. It it's like, it's up. not, it's, yeah. I yeah. don't know how they made those dinosaurs do that, but I guess it wasn't a lot of, too much CG because it's, wow, it just, it just works. Yeah.
1: Now, your son still a little young for, for Star Wars, so uh, yeah. So let's say he's ready by the time episode nine is out. So are you, <laughs> how are you how are you going to handle that? So I'll, I'll tell you my my son, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he's he's now seven. He's he's old enough. He's seen all seven. But we started with episode four. We did four, five, six. Then we did one,
2: two, three, and then we did seven. So yeah. now, if you have all nine, where are you going? How are you going to start? The order, I don't know, but <laughs> I think you. Stay, I get you could start at the beginning, but there's a there's a continuity problem just in terms of wow, why does the newer one? Yeah, I, I guess that makes sense because you go well that's episode one, that's why it looks kind of lame, and then <laughs> in episode four they had better technology. Right. So yeah, I mean, I just love. Of course, I love. Four, five, and six. I think a lot of it's nostalgia mm-hmm. too. Maybe for the I remember in the theater. Well, I remember episode five, and those were the days before, long before anyone even had the interwebs. So I mean, I, we were shocked yeah. when you know, no, Luke, oh, I am your father. I mean, that was friggin' shocking. Yeah. And if you wanted to see it again, you had to go back the next day. Yeah, yeah. And you can't just look it up on YouTube. Right? Yeah, <laughs> right, right, right. There were no spoiler alerts because it's like, yeah, you know,
1: yeah. So,
2: are you on board
1: with this sort of new split too? Because we have the we have the sequence, and then we have these Rogue One coming out at the end of the year, and a few more after that, I guess.
2: Yeah, it's fine. You know, I'm just very thankful <laughs> just for it. right. So it's all good. Yeah, it's, it's all right. Yeah. I, I'm just thankful for what we have. So we have four, five, and six, yeah. and and seven is okay. And I'm I'm looking for better ones in the future, but yeah. um, yeah, yeah. I, I I don't you know it's fine. Yeah.
1: Um, Gar, this has been great. Thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been uh, a pleasure talking with you.
2: Well, I apologize if there's any nothing here for your listeners to glean, <laughs> I think, I take think, away with them. But, I think there's bloody uh, but, um, Just keep keep it simple. It's hard to be simple. People, people are afraid yeah. to be simple. But if, if there's anything that the Japanese arts have taught me is that to be simple is really hard and takes years and years of training. Uh, but it takes some courage, too, because… You know, anyone can be complicated and it's quite easy to confuse people. But the problem is, if you're simple, you've done the hard work, people might actually understand what you're talking about. And if they understand it, they might, then they'll have questions for you. Right. So right. if you're okay with that, then yeah. simplicity is the way to go. Right. Um,
1: I think that's a great place, sentiment to, uh, to stop for this week. So again, thanks for coming on the show. It's been, it's been great. All right. Thanks very much. And thanks everyone out there for listening. I appreciate you tuning into this week's episode. So until next week, this has been the Policy of His Podcast.
0: This episode of the PolicyViz podcast is brought to you by Jump statistical discovery software from SAS. Jump's powerful, easy-to-use visualization capabilities allow you to both explore your data for hidden insights and create interactive graphics that tell a compelling story. Enhance your presentations with dynamic graphics powered by world-class analytics in Jump. Visit www.jmp.com to download a 30-day free trial to see for yourself how with jump, data visualization, and exploratory analysis go hand in hand.